Good. Thank you, Bethany. Well, good morning. Rest kids, you're dismissed. Whoa. Yeah, mic drop. What's up? There you go. Thanks. After the uh, res kids clear the aisles, ushers, you guys can go forward to receive the morning's tithes and offerings. Uh, It's been a really wild week uh, in my life. Been some very, very long days. I'm the president of our state sort of convention of of Baptists, and so um, that's been a crazy week. We had a big executive board meeting um, that could have been difficult and contentious, but the Lord uh, moved in a powerful way, and so I spent pretty much all week uh, gearing up for that and, and working hard. So uh, I've been extraordinarily busy and preoccupied, but, but, but peculiarly so. It won't be uh, regular. So this week is our final week of sign-ups for uh, discipleship groups and things like that for the springs and volunteer opportunities and the class. I'm teaching a class uh, on the story of Christianity, which is a church history text that runs from sort of the early church to uh, the Reformation, a period that I think us uh, Protestants and evangelicals really don't know much about. Uh, I've talked to many of you. Many have signed up. Uh, someone said they're waiting on a different professor to teach it. So I don't know what that means. But I'm just kidding. So if you'd like to sign up, uh, sign up for all those things, and we'll be in touch with you about your discipleship groups in the next couple of weeks. Last week, we began our journey through the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. We saw a picture of what life is like in God's kingdom. If you have your Bibles with you, you can look with me in Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the table back there. I forget to remind you, take one. Take one. Uh, Grab it when you come in. Grab it when you go out and keep it and and bring it back every week. You come to church and read it in the meantime. (laughs) Verse 2 of chapter 5, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we read this text today in our modern Christian filter, there is some beauty there. Blessed are the meek. Though the world doesn't prize meekness, these words have guided the Christian worldview in many ways that we can hear them and acknowledge that it's good to be merciful. It's good to be meek. It's good to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But this is nothing like the vision for the good life in the kingdom of man. The meek aren't blessed. The powerful are blessed. The poor in spirit aren't blessed. The ones who have it all together are blessed. The ones who mourn aren't blessed. The ones who are happy are living their blessed life now. The merciful aren't blessed. The vindictive are blessed. They get their way. The pure in heart aren't blessed. They don't have any fun. The peacemakers aren't blessed. They don't 
get into good fights. They don't get their way often. Those who are persecuted aren't blessed in the kingdom of man. They're hurt, they're cursed, they're in trouble. And how are you blessed when others revile you? How are you blessed when they speak evil against you? Atop that mountain, at the foot of the Messiah, the disciples are having their worlds turned upside down. But really, their worlds are being turned right side up. From the very beginning of this historic sermon, Jesus is completely reorienting his disciples. This is what you think religion and life in the world is all about, but let me show you a still more excellent way. This is what you think is true, but let me show you what is ultimately true. Jesus is completely redefining how the disciples would think about being the people of God. If the Beatitudes describe the character of God's people, then the verses today, the metaphors of salt and light, help us understand the influence of God's people. If last week's sermon through that text, the Beatitudes, helped us understand the character of God's people, then this week's sermon will help us understand God's people are distinct from the world. God's people are distinct from the world. The second point, God's people preserve and beautify the world. God's people preserve and beautify the world. And the third point is God's people illuminate and evangelize the world. God's people illuminate and evangelize the world. So our first point is God's people are distinct from the world. When we, finish this ser- when, when we finish this sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount and we're asking questions, what, what is the tie that binds all this together from Jesus climbing the mountain, right? Geographically, even topographically, he's taking his people somewhere else. The message he's giving them is a message of a contrast community. You're different. He'll contrast them from the world. This is how they live. This isn't how you live. He'll contrast them from just religious moralism. You have heard it said X, but I say Y. And it's always an intensification of devotion, never a sort of, ah, just it'll be all right kind of thing. So a, a central theme, a string that runs through the whole Sermon on the Mount, is this idea that God's people are distinct from the world. Here at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, he is beginning to teach what we know is true. That God's people live the Jesus life. They live it the Jesus way. And they live it by the Jesus truth. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If the light of the lamp is hidden, then why did you light the lamp in the first place? Salt is efficacious, and that just means salt does its job because of what it is. The unique chemical compound that creates salt acts in such a way to perform the functions of its being. And if its being is changed, then it cannot any longer perform the functions needed of it. Jesus is making a simple point. Your difference, your difference from the rest of the world, that is what sets you apart. That is what makes you unique. But this is uncomfortable. 
It's easy to take the path of least resistance and just try to fit in. In many ways, that's kind of what our culture does. We want to stand out, but we also want to fit in. But blurring the distinction between the Christian and the non-Christian serves neither God, ourselves, nor the world around us. Perhaps trying to blur that distinction or hide that distinction or run from that distinction or be dishonest about that distinction or overemphasize that distinction in ways that are unbiblical, not in emphasis, but in the way it's fleshed out. By getting that distinction wrong, we've made many, many mistakes. Perhaps taking the path of least resistance is one of the most besetting sins of the church. We just do what's easy. (laughs) We just do what we want. We go where we won't get punched. And we just try to keep going because our comfort can tend to become our God. Now, Jesus has in view here a sort of salt that is somewhat naturally found in, in in this particular location, sand from the Dead Sea would mix in with this salt, and so you might have bad salt at some point, right? Because that salt would, um, would be mixed with sand, and at that point, it's impossible to separate the sand from the salt. It would lose its power and not do what the salt is supposed to do. And I think there's a lot that we're drawing out here when we think about how we are different from the world, right? When the sands of the world mixed with the pure gospel, we are left with compromised religion. When we get lazy and just conform to the world around us as if that's a morally neutral thing, we settle at best for a Christian veneer on our surrounding culture. We take American culture and we just slap a cross on it. When God is calling us to a Christian counterculture, God's not saying make the exact same movies except make the professor bad and the kids smart and then the professor repents and believes and there's this triumphant march to victory. God's saying live in such a way that your whole lives are different than the world around you. Don't just take the forms of culture and modify everything to that. Our culture prize is big and powerful and strong, so we're going to make our churches these organizational behemoths that are big and powerful and strong because those are the idols of our culture. Hear God's call to live where you are as a part of your community, as a redeemed portion of your culture, living out the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man where God has planted you. There's much more we could say there, but we'll have to move on. Essentially, embrace what makes you different. You are God's. Pursue the pure gospel in the scriptures. Pursue a pure life that is not mixed with the sands of sin. Don't just take the path of least resistance. Don't hide from the fact that in Christ we are different from those around us. Two questions if you're taking notes to ask of yourself that I've asked of myself. Am I compromised salt? (laughs) Is there some sand mixed in with the salt of my life? Am I embracing the fact that as A child of God, my life is different because I am his. Then the second question piggybacks off that question. How do I begin living differently? 
how do I move from just a, uh, the Christian veneer on the life that everyone else is living into a truly different life, the Jesus life, lived by the Jesus truth in the Jesus way? As you begin to diagnose that question and think about that question in your own heart, in your discipleship groups, in your families, with your friends, here's some help in processing that. You're learning to live from somewhere. Where? (laughs) You're taking your cues on what to do, who to date, who to marry, what job to take, what to study, all these things. You're taking your cues from somewhere. Are you taking them from what you've seen? Are you, you want to be the opposite of what you've seen? Are you taking them from your Instagram feed? Are you taking them from the sort of influencers that you look up to? Are you taking them from athletes? Are you taking them from your parents? There are good sources and there are bad sources. But what I want to ask, are you taking your cues from Jesus? Are you in community with godly people where you're together striving to live by the cues of the gospel life? How are the truths of Scripture informing the way I think about myself and the world around me? How has the text, how has the Word of God in the last month or in the last year changed the way I approach my life? If it hasn't, I must ask who our God is. Am I cultivating the life of the Spirit through prayer and the pursuit of God? I ask a lot of questions in this portion of the sermon because I want the Spirit to lead you. How do you reckon with the reality that you are distinct from the world around you? May God make us a healthy counterculture. Leading me to point two, God's people preserve and beautify the world. Salt was valuable in antiquity. It was valuable in the life of this region, even. Salt is valuable and really functional today. Salt prevents decay. Salt adds flavor, taste, increases your heart rate. Salt gives value. It was even used in currency in some ancient cultures. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are people of great value. I think Jesus is saying many things that disciples are hearing. You're preventing decay. You're adding value. You're adding flavor. You're adding beauty. Your presence in the world is unique and different. But that's a good thing. Our uniquely Christian presence in the world is a positive thing for the world. Sometimes the world affirms that. And sometimes the world does not affirm that. We're celebrating this week Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As we celebrate him, the whole country is celebrating Christian principles of justice and love that motivated the Baptist pastor to lead a a movement committed to justice and love. In many ways, the world values ideas that rise from our holy scriptures. But other times the world does not value a faithful, straightforward reading of the biblical text. One of the earliest problems Christians faced were they simply refused to bow the knee to the emperor. 
In cultures that worship the emperor, they would try to force the Christians to worship them, and they would say, we cannot do that. We cannot bow the knee to a man because we worship God, and there was great persecution there. Modern Christians are misunderstood or maligned for holding to historically orthodox and biblically faithful sexual ethics. But in both situations, where the world cheers and the world jeers, your presence is helpful and influential in the world because your lives are an example of what is possible when humanity submits to their creator anew. Your lives are a picture of what is possible when humanity submits to their creator anew. Essentially, the point Jesus is making is there is decay in the culture. And we, you, you little group of guys who think you have no power because in a worldly sense you don't, you are an agent of preservation in this world of decay. But you're doing more than just preserving a world that's rotting and going to hell. You are actually adding beauty to the world. You are adding value to the world. You're saying this food is okay, but it would be a lot better if it had a little salt, right? Our presence should say this place is all right, but it would be a little better if it had God's people in it. Our presence should make our communities better places. In our scorecard of success, we can't just ask, how is our church doing? We have to ask, how is our city doing? We can't just think about ourselves. We have to think about the world around us. We don't flee our communities. We are the salt thrown into our communities. As followers of Jesus, living the Jesus truth, the Jesus way, living out the Jesus life, we add value, we add beauty, we make life better in our homes, our workplaces, our campuses, in our neighborhoods. Now, we disagree on how to go about doing that. Within Christianity, we disagree massively about the best way for our preservative influence and our value-adding influence to be shared in the world around us. Faithful men of God like Stanley Auerwas have said, we need to be very, very weary of putting Christian ethics into policy, right? We need to focus instead on letting that happen and then come over here and be a counterculture. We don't have time to get bogged down in that. Then the other side says that we can't do that. We can't banish them to struggle on their own. Guys who follow a guy like Abraham Kuyper might say we must take the rule of God into every sphere of life. We can't hide it from government or entertainment or politics. We must bring them all together. Wherever you fall in these wildly different approaches to how we preserve and add value, the point is not changed. Living out the implications of the gospel, Jesus is coming to earth, his living, his dying, his rising, and his ascending back to heaven. Living out the implications of the gospel in healthy Christian communities shows the world what is possible when you turn to God. Two questions. Are we salty? Are we being thrown out or thrown in? 
Are we being thrown out because we're not salty anymore? Or are we being thrown into our communities where we can preserve them and where we can add value to them? Am I demonstrating a healthy life in my submission to God? Are we living a life that the outside world could see and want to replicate? Are we living lives that add value to other people? Or are we just waiting on people to come and add value to our lives? God's people preserve and beautify the world. Third point and final point. God's people illuminate and evangelize the world. God's people illuminate and evangelize the world. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. When I read this, I almost picture being on a plane and flying into a, a big city, and you just see the, the city lights out there. You're driving uh, on the interstate, right? You're near a large city, and you get to a point several miles out where you can begin to see the lights of, of the city, and there's, there's no way that you can hide them, right? I mean, fog could hide them, but, but you can't do anything to hide them. A city up on a hill for all to see cannot be hidden. It's just there. It's shining its light because that's who it is. That's what it does. Jesus makes the point, you, you would not light a lamp to conceal it. You don't light a lamp to expose that light to darkness so that everyone in the house can see clearly. In the same way, in the same way, this is important, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good works and, the most important and in the text today, and glorify your Father in heaven. Not let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and like your post. Not let your light shine before men so they can see your good works and think your church is awesome. Not let your light shine before men. You get the point. I could go all day. The point is, let your light shine before men in such a way that you're not broadcasting yourself, but you merely cannot be hidden. You merely cannot be hidden. The world sees you, and they understand the light in you comes from the Father of lights. So three things. Let your light shine before men. One. Light pierces darkness. God's people carry the light of the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus, God from God, light from light, has brought to earth. We are children of the light. We live in the light. We walk in the light. We walk in the light because of the gospel of grace. We have nothing to hide. We walk in the light of truth and grace that is opposed to walking in the darkness of guilt, sin, and shame. We let our light shine before men. We let the life of God in us be displayed for all people. That they may see, point two, that they may see our good works. That they may see our good works. Live in such a way that your light is coming to bear on darkness. That your light is coming to bear on darkness. We again see the significance of that distinction. 
If our light's not bright, then it doesn't contrast as much with the darkness. The brighter the light, the stronger it pierces the darkness. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, that they may know the source of your works, that the whole world may see and know that Jesus is the Son of God, and that in him is reconciliation God, in him is reconciliation to neighbor, and in him, in Christ, is a better way to live. I've used this illustration in sermons before. Uh, Think about a song. We'll just imagine the song has lyrics for the sake of my metaphor. Uh, A good song, your favorite song, has lyrics, and it has a musical score, right? Country roads, take me home to the place I belong, right? Those words have resounded through our hearts for decades. I said centuries. That's not true. (laughs) Decades. But you hear the little guitar thing, right? and you know what's coming, and your heart wells up with excitement because you're going to sing the homage to your homeland, right? But imagine hearing that start, and then, like, the, the lyrics never come. You know, it's just the song's like, okay, this is kind of cool, but, like, there's no lyrics. Or imagine just hearing the lyrics, and there's no music. There's no music at all. Your experience of the song, then you, you get some of it, right? But it's not moving your heart and mind the way that music does. When the musical score and the lyrics meet, you find something that speaks to your heart and your mind in a deeper, almost more transcendent, more profound way. And I think the life of God is somewhat like that. You're walking in the light, and you're telling people about the light. Like the walking in the light is like the musical score. Right? That... It's undergirding your whole life that you're loving people around you. You're being a peacemaker. You're doing good things because that is what good hearts do, right? You're living in such a way that your neighbors can see that you care about them. You're a positive influence. So people can see the the sort of movements of your life. But without the lyrics, they're kind of left asking, why? Why? Why are they living this way? Are they just really committed to philanthropic ventures, right? Are they just really committed to being a good guy? I respect their commitment to that. No, it's something far greater for us. You're walking in the light, and as you're walking, you're telling them about the light, and then it's starting to make sense. A lot of folks drive people crazy because they're they're just shouting and there's no music. But a lot of folks are ineffective in God's kingdom. A lot of folks aren't sharing the gospel because there's a lot of music, but there's there's no lyrics. We're living the life of the kingdom of God, and we're sharing the news of the kingdom of God. When you live God's way, when you walk in God's life, you share God's truth. And as you share God's truth, the message of the gospel, that light has come, is piercing and pushing back darkness in the world around us. As we walk to the beat of the kingdom of God, as we proclaim the news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light is piercing through the kingdom of darkness. Oh, I think about when light came to darkness in the beginning of John's gospel. Ryan, if you want to come on up uh, and get... 
at the end of the sermon here. If you have your Bibles, look over to John 1, just because this is really cool. I'm going to read it, so if you don't want to flip over there, uh, I probably wouldn't, honestly. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Don't miss this. And the life was the light of men. That in God, before the foundation of the world, there was life inside of him. And that life in him was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Oh, that's one of my favorite sentences about the incarnation, about God wrapping himself in flesh and coming to earth. The light shines, and the light has come to darkness, and here is the news we have for the world. The darkness did not drown him out. I think about our last trip to India. We were riding around with some pastors, uh, visiting some churches and villages, and um, we pulled up to a little hut, and pull up so, you know, right in front of the door, we get out and, and go in, and there's several folks there who have come to faith in Jesus, in a Hindu village, and um, they're gonna, they were going to be baptized the next day, and we got to go be at the baptism. And so I was there, and I got to work alongside their pastors and get to talk with them and explain what baptism is and, and, and why that's incredible. And I don't, I just don't, I'll just never forget, man, sitting in that room with a 13-year-old girl with a little flashlight on a handwritten hymn book. And the songs of everyone rising to heaven in that place. And the metaphor, I was living out that verse. Here we are in the middle of a little Hindu village in this little hut. We had to park right at the door and, and go in so no one wondered what these guys were doing here. And here's this little kid, and she just flicks on that light. And it lights up the whole dark room. And God's people, from the four-year-old over here to the 80-year-old who brought her bed out so we could have a place to sit, and she demanded we sit on it. These people are brothers and sisters. It hit me. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. This 12-year-old girl is not afraid of what might happen to her as she leads us in worship. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not and cannot overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, you must know he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. You know, he was in the world, 
and the world was made through him. Yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own. He came to his own people, and they, they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to all who heard his message, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To all who believed this message, the one from the true light who has come into the world. He has given the right to become children of God. Church, this is our story. This is our song. The true light has come into the world, and he extends the right to join him in his world, to become his children, to be heirs of his kingdom, to be a part of his rescue plan for all of creation. This is the message that we bring. This is the message that this world needs. This is how all things are made right. This is how, as Tolkien famously said, all things sad will become untrue. This is how families and communities are made to live. This is how they are made whole. This is where our hearts find rest. This is where our lives find meeting in Christ and him alone and in the light of his glory and grace. God's people illuminate the life, illuminate the world with the life of Christ in us. And God's people evangelize the world with the word of God through us. Church light has pierced the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Two questions before we come to the Lord's Supper. Are we salty and are we bright? Basically, it boils down to this. Am I comfortable being different? Am I comfortable not fitting neatly into the categories of man? Am I comfortable being misunderstood sometimes by people very, very close to me? Am I comfortable following Christ no matter the cost? Or am I Am I hiding my lamp because I, that, when that, that conflict, that tension that happens when the light and the dark meet, the stuff that gets shown, I don't want that to be shown. <laughs> I don't want to deal with the fallout. So I'm just going to take a step back and just, you know, can someone cover that light so I don't have to deal with it? I'll go to church on Sunday, but I, I don't want to really, I don't really want to fool with it. Or... Is our saltiness compromised? Is our, are we not adding value? Are we not preserving the world around us? Because, because we are compromised, right? Because the sands of the world have gotten in with the salt of the gospel and we're not having the influence we should have. Are we hiding our lamps? Are we compromised with some sand? Are we cultivating the life of God in us? Are we pursuing Christ together to know him and make him known that the whole world might see that our Father in heaven knows them and loves them? I'm reminded of a quote from John Wesley, set your life on fire and the whole world will watch you burn. Be salty, let's be distinctive. Let's be different on God's terms, not on their terms. 
Let's be who God's called us to be. Let's let our light shine before man that they may see our works and they may glorify God in heaven that slowly but surely people are going to trickle into this church saying, man, my neighbor goes here. They're, they, they, they used to never talk to me, but now they're like, they care about me. Right? Man, my, this guy, like, they used to be so different. But they stopped doing some of this stuff. But, but they didn't stop it in like a pretentious way. They stopped it because they were like actually happy and not having to pretend to be happy on social media for everybody to see. And I'm just tired of pretending like they were pretending. And so instead of pretending, I want something real. And I just, I just feel like this person's onto something real, right? And then slowly but surely, as we're following Christ together, those differences begin to be highlighted, and some people will like that, some people will not like that, but all people will see that, and many people will believe because of that. Are we salty? Are we bright? I'm going to pray for us and give us a moment of reflection and invite us to gather at the Lord's table. This is one of those things we do that's adding value to, in us. It, it's reminding us that we are different from the world around us. We don't just live by food alone. We live by Christ. So as we take the elements this morning, we're reflecting on the fact that the light of God, the life of God in us is what makes us different, is what makes us unique, and that we must cultivate that light and shine that light for all to see. We need Jesus. Oh, we need him every hour we need him. And our coming to the Lord's table today is a proclamation of the gospel and our need for Christ. As always, the table is for those who are in Christ. So if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, it wouldn't make sense for you. And our scriptures teach that this meal isn't for you because it's not where you are. That's not the confession of your heart and mind. But this meal is for you in the sense that we want you to take it one day soon as a follower of Jesus. Will you believe this morning in the Messiah who has come to show us the character of God's people and this morning to show us the influence of God's people, to show us what happens when we submit to God's will for our lives? Let's pray, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, your word convicts us, your word challenges us, but your word encourages us, Lord. God, you didn't tell your disciples to go out and be the most awesome people in the world. You told them to go out and be who you've made them to be and be faithful to that. Embrace the fact that we're different and embrace the fact that you're with us. And really, that's all we got to do. We just live in active response to the realities that you are ours and we are yours. And the whole world is loved by you and needs to know you. Hear the prayers of your saints in these moments of reflection. Amen. Spend a moment in reflection while we prepare the table.